was ready. Those lines of that song really do, I mean, refocus, right, us? Um, to say that you have no rival, that you have no equal. And I don't know about you, but there's times uh, throughout my week, um, and I think Sunday afternoon I lose that. Uh, I, I mean, just the way my heart works. Um, and that's why we gather. That's why we gather again and again and again to remind ourselves that our God has no rival and no equal. And, uh, and so we're really glad you're here today. Um, if you're new today, we, we understand that visiting a church can sometimes be a very uh, daunting, awkward, weird thing. Um, and so we, we, we don't, uh, sometimes we make it more awkward just by saying that, but um, we just want you to know we're glad you're here. And if you are new, out on our welcome table, there's something that says thank you for coming. And that's for you. Um, that's a little gift from us to you. Um, just to to say thank you. And so uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Also, a couple of things I want to let you know. We put an Easter card on everybody's chair. Um, That's maybe a reminder for you that Easter is two weeks away. Um, But it's also an invitation for you, um, a way for you to even invite somebody else, family, friends, um, whatever. Someone that may be in a spot in their life right now uh, that hearing about a God that loves them uh, might be the perfect timing. And so we would love to invite you to one to two services that morning um, and, and just kind of plan your day around that. If you want to do the brunch thing or the lunch thing or the, you know, whatever, uh, just just make this a part of that. We'd love to have you. So a couple of things we want to let you know, and, and that's just if you are been looking for a way to get involved around here, um, we've got this great children's ministry next door that they are growing kids everywhere. Um, <laughs> You guys are having more babies. Well done. There's that too. But there's kids everywhere around here. And uh, they've even made three rooms out of two in there. And uh, so we have some new people serving over there even today. So love to have you involved if you'd like to be involved in that. Or if you're not really a kid person um, and you just like to push carts with wheels, maybe that's your thing. I don't know. Maybe you'd like to drive a box truck. You ever thought about that? Like a six-speed box truck? It's good times. Um, like early morning-ish. Um, no, seriously, though, we would love to add another driver to our roadie team. Um, and, and just a couple of, of folks, if you'd like to jump in, we would love to have you. And I want to bring Dan up. Dan Zizvorka is one of our pastors. Um, and a few weeks ago, I shared with you that Dan took an exploratory trip down to Nicaragua to, uh, I didn't really pronounce it super cool, but uh, <laughs> to talk about this, uh, to, to investigate a p- potential for us to be involved in what's happening in Nicaragua, a place called Sunica, uh, an organization called Sunica. So Dan is going to help facilitate and lead a trip this September. Dan, tell us about it. Okay. Although you just did. It's all right. First, I want to talk about the box truck, because someone said to me, how many speeds can you actually use you get up to the third speed maybe anyway yeah we're going to Nicaragua the third week of September uh, we want to invite you all to come to an informational meeting the week after Easter uh, we're thinking we can probably only take 12 people although if tons of people come to the meeting maybe we'll set up two trips I don't know yeah or like uh, some sort of a battle 
like some sort of a contest. <laughs> yeah. We can vote people off the trip. Right. Some That's kind of fun. Spanish throwdown <laughs> or something. Right. Anyway, uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a mission trip slash spiritual adventure. Lots of great things are being planned for the trip. Uh, I hope it's interesting to you all and uh, it's an opportunity to go and give. It's an opportunity to go and grow in your life with Christ. So think about it. Start thinking that over and we'll talk to you or talk to me mm -hmm. or we'll talk to you at the meeting. Perfect. And there's some more info even online um, on our website if you go to restorationcolorado.org um, and you look for uh, uh, just kind of like our causes section. Underneath that, there's some links and you can actually go to the Sunika website, sunika.org, and you can kind of read a little bit about it if you'd like to do that first before you come to the meeting. But um, yeah, well, let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for what you've done in the life of this church. And uh, I, can, I can think of stories, uh, story after story of lives um, experiencing what it means to follow you more, even throughout these last three months of this series, God. And we just, we just ask that as we wind down this teachings and the Sermon on the Mount, that you would, um, that you would really hold us and, and really pull us towards what it means to be obedient, what it means to follow you, what it means to live our whole life through you. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. We're actually going to take our offering now as we start the message. And uh, it's just another way that we do worship around here. And so um, if you are new, you can just let that go by. But this is partly how we Worship God with our finances, um, and and a year ago I told this story last week. But a year ago we uh, we were renting some rooms here um, that cost a little bit less money, and we took the leap um, as we're growing to to jump into this space. And and you've been really faithful, and and God has really provided through your generosity um, to make that happen, to make more seats available for. Everybody, everybody. So thank you for being a part of that. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is the last portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, today we're going to kind of officially finish the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, the series continues one more week as we talk a little bit about the way. And, and what I mean by the way is um, a, a teaching, this, this way of teaching that Jesus has been involved in the whole time. Um, and, you know, in this first century biography of Matthew, Matthew talks about uh, this word, and, and you don't read it in your Bible, but in the Greek, it's hodas. Can you say hodas? hodas. You Greek scholars now, you, you can do this. Um, it's, it's really this, the, the teaching, the way, the road, uh, or path that Jesus is talking about. He talks about the way, and, and the, the way of life, the way to live. Um, and Jesus is, uh, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of the series, Jesus is an itinerant teacher. He's a rabbi. And he calls the first disciples to a way of living and following after him. We talked about the nuance of how wild that was, that Jesus actually pursued these, these guys to follow him um, and, and how backwards and upside down that was at that time. Because typically you've tried to follow a rabbi. 
Um, you tried to, to make yourself uh, smart enough and, and following the law enough to be able to follow a certain rabbi around. And Jesus actually turned everything upside down and invited uh, a group of, you know, outcast guys, some of them, uh, to follow him. And, and we, we talk about what that word means. It means to apprentice. A disciple is an apprentice following after a teacher um, and, and following his teachings, not only what he says, but how he lives, what he does, how he talks, everything in his life. His whole, uh, I guess, the yoke, how he sees life, how he interprets scripture. And that's what Jesus called these guys to do, to be apprentices along the way. And Matthew 5 through 7 is this sermon on the mount where he's teaching the disciples, but everybody else gets to listen in. Pharisees get to listen in. And we learn that, that this whole group of people is from all over the region. Some people are from Samaria. Some people are from uh, the, uh, part, uh, uh, on the other side of the Jordan. Some people are from Galilee and Jerusalem and all over the place. And so we have a whole collection of people listening in to this sermon. And really what this is, is Jesus is talking about how to live rightly, how to live how God created us, how to live in this flourishing way in the world. Now, we've talked about this over and over again as a church, but our goal here at Restoration is to, isn't to get more people to sit in these seats on Sunday. That's not the goal. Now, our goal is to have more of us sitting in these seats on Sunday than turn around and be living the way as apprentices to Jesus in our lives, Sunday through Saturday. And we talked about what that looks like by when Jesus said being salt and light and how we're scattered to do that. And so Jesus, enter, he finishes the sermon Today, he finished it 2,000 years ago, but the the sermon part that we're seeing today is is the ending of that sermon, and it's it's not a bunch of warm fuzzies. It's not a bunch of uh, just happy thoughts and go get them, tigers. It's three warnings is really what it is. It's three warnings, and um, the warnings are are something you've, you've heard these before. Um, if we flash some of the scripture up on the screen, it's, uh, it goes like this. Let's start in verse seven. Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't know why. I think I have the wrong scripture up here. Let me just turn to mine. Matthew chapter seven. Goes like this. Enter through the narrow gate. It's actually verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. We've heard that before. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only few find it. So the first warning is a wide gate and a narrow gate. Second warning is watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Their fruit you will... You will rec- by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. 
He goes on to say that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and this is response to what he just said, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And here's the third warning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What's interesting is we have these three warnings. And Jesus is, in a sense, drawing three concentric circles, big, small, smaller, as we get closer down the road. And this is very much, um, scholars say, is temple imagery. And now I know that sounds kind of weird, but when I think of the temple, how the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament were, there was, there was things where they would talk about outside the camp and outside the temple walls and those who, who, who were living outside, in a sense, Israel. And then there was just circles as you got closer and closer. And then there's what? The Holy of Holies, right? And what Jesus is doing is talking about these different circles of influence in our life. And, and the first one is these forces and cult of the culture that, that kind of pull us off the way, that pull people off of the way of Jesus. And we'll get into that here in a second. The second one is forces that are inside the camp, okay, uh, of the people of God that kind of pull us and, 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 and move us and, and divide us. And then there's the third one that's the forces inside of your life, in your heart, and what you're building everything on. And so the first one is this idea of entering through the narrow gate and the wide gate. A lot of times we've heard this as an illustration to, well, there's, there's this wide gate and those are, there's a lot of people who are going to hell and there's a small group of people that are going to heaven and we leave it there. And we think that's what Jesus is meaning, but it's way much more than that. He's talking about paying attention that you go through oh, the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is, and broad is uh, the road that, uh, that leads to destruction. He says, wide is the, the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And see, gate imagery, wall imagery was huge. If you lived in Jerusalem, if you're familiar with Jerusalem at all the time, there were large gates, and then there were small entrances. Large gate, there's a gate in Jerusalem called the Sheep Gate. Anybody have a guess what that was for? I mean, just huge herds of animals going through into the city. There wasn't steps. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't difficult to get in the city, uh, Hundreds of people, animals, carts, traffic could go through these wide open 
smoothed out gates. But there, there was these little holes in the wall, different places, stairways, passages, narrow, difficult. You couldn't get your cart. You couldn't get all your stuff in. And Jesus is drawing on this imagery for the people. Saying there are these, these roads that everybody goes down that's easy to walk through. The flow is easy. But then there's ways that are harder. There are ways that are more difficult. He's saying things, in, in essence, don't follow the crowd. Don't do the easy. There's another way to live. There's another way to live that's counter to culture. There's another way to go. There's a small gate. There's a, there's, a, there's a small gate, and I'm the gate. And I'm that way. And my teaching is that way. And so you go, I mean, let's look at the last three months. We've talked about generosity. Is generosity easy or hard? Anybody? It's hard. How about loving your enemies? Is that easy? No, it's super difficult. Our culture says it, it's just so much easier to hold on to grudges and have revengeful thoughts. That's easy. That's natural. Is it easy to have our treasure in God or in our stuff? It's, it's, it's easier to have our treasure in our stuff. Now, let me, let me just throw this to you in, in a few different ways. This whole idea of an upside-down kingdom is, is kind of something that it's really hard for us because we see how culture works. We see how our heart just easily gets pulled into um, living a certain way. And, and every day we have a choice, literally every day, every moment. Uh, there's this way to live that pulls us. And I'm going to walk over here and get my water. Set off. Sorry. Starting to sound like, uh, well, I won't say it. <laughs> we, we live every day with choices. We live every, mo every moment with choices. And Jesus is saying there's another way to do it. And, and, and millions of people go a certain route, chase after certain things that in their lifetime might actually end up being destructive. Patterns of living, ways of thinking. And how many of you can attest to the idea that uh, obedience to Jesus is actually really hard and difficult, but it leads to life? Anybody like ever experienced that in their life? Yeah. Now, I don't think Jesus is really a good salesman on this. I mean, it, <laughs> he's not saying, but it's, it's actually pretty cool um, and you're going to love it. And he just, he just <laughs> lays it out. This is a big road. It's easy. This one's hard. What are you going to do? I mean, I love the, like the, the story of the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler is just like, hey, here's what I've done. I've done all this stuff. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, well, why don't you try selling everything you have and giving it to the poor and then coming and following me? And then the guy went away sad. And Jesus was actually sad. I mean, Jesus doesn't run after him and go, well, I'll just how about half of it then? Or, or why don't you just start small? He just, he just lays it out. He just lays out two different choices. 
And so let's talk about this in terms of sexuality. This is an, just like a, as an example. There's different roads as far as sexuality. I mean, if you could, we could probably agree that Epaphrodite is alive and well in our culture. This, this idea of just pursuing anything pleasurable that you want whenever you want. That's our culture. And, and, and when it comes to, I mean, being single in our culture right now, what is the easy road? What is the easy way? The easy way is just to pursue that, is to, is to, to meet people and, and just to take things to that next step and to that further place sexually. And being married is so difficult in our culture. And, it, and it's easy to not work for love and intimacy and trust and commitment and to find those things in places online that are just destructive. And, and, and I, let me just say this, that there's no, there's no, no one ever plays the part two to romantic comedies, right? Where things are just joked about and situations are just laughed off. There's no part two to that, <laughs> Right? where you see all the destructive uh, you know, outcomes of that in, in lives and families wrecked and intimacy and memories and trust scarred. What would be the small gate? Single people, what would be the small gate to being single? It, it, it would be waiting. It would be difficult conversations and not putting yourself in situations and cold showers and trusting God and, and these, this idea that knowing that your body is meant to be a temple of the spirit then God wants to, in every square inch of you is what God created in you and, and waiting for that day when you're married with some, someone who's committed to you and it's just how beautiful that is. That's the small gate. Married, what's the small gate? The small gate is pushing into uh, this beautiful intimacy that God gave you as a married couple and trusting each other and, and doing the hard work of relationship with each other. And that's just one example. Let's talk about hundreds of examples. How we use our money and consumerism and power and all of these things that there's a wide gate, Jesus says, and there's a narrow gate. There's an easy road and there's a hard road. The second warning he has is about the camp, the people of God. And Jesus says, talks about watching out for false prophets. And they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly says they are ferocious wolves. And when Jesus says this, you kind of go to yourself, is that really true? And the reality is, it is. That it has been true throughout history. And there are men and women who are dressed like sheep, who speak amazing Christianese, and yet inside they're wolves. They don't feed the sheep, they feed on the sheep. They use their position of power and influence to get things and to get more power and influence. It talks about in the book of Acts, 
Paul talks about this really at the end of his journey, Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he says this. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. There's something about the human experience that whenever, whenever groups of people are gathered, people want to control. People want to get from them. And I think that uh, Jesus, what he, he does here is he says that, that because of there are men and women dressed like sheep, because they're amongst God's people, and because they have this mentality that, that Jesus says you have to be on your guard. You can't just swallow everything whole. You can't just read anything that's a Christian book and go, oh, well, that must all be true. Or hear every teaching online. I got to be honest with you. This is a very big deal to stand up here and teach you guys every week. We take it really seriously. That's why we have a teaching team. That's why we have a leadership team. Because if somewhere I get off track, they're going to be able to say something. Or I'll just fire them. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm joking. But the, the point is, is that... This idea that there's, there's accountability to what we're saying. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. When I first started teaching um, a while back, I mean, I got to go look at my notes and go, I really said that? Like, I'm really kind of, I mean, it's like humbling to go, man, I had that wrong. And I wish I hadn't said it like that. And that really had a tone. And Eugene Peterson says this. Uh, this is basically his interpretation of, this passage, he says, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. <laughs> Dripping with practice sincerity, chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are in the, is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. I wish he was a little bit more you know, clear on what. It's like, wow. Are there preachers and teachers and authors that give us a bad name. Yep. And there's some very graphic and lurid imagery here that Jesus uses to warn us about that. Why all the warnings? Why all the warnings? Because they're not easy to spot. They're cunning, they're crafty, and he says, how do you know? I mean, how do we know if somebody is like this? How do we know if that's happening? Well, you can tell by their fruit. A couple of weeks ago, I was in San Jose. My uncle had passed away, and we were gathering at the house, um, house they lived in for 50-plus years. And in their backyard, I remember it as a kid, um, this orange tree in their backyard. And, and I, was, I was like, oh, yeah, that orange tree. And the orange tree's in bloom, and the, the oranges are falling off like crazy. And, and so I go out there and I grab one. It was this one of the best oranges I've had in a long time. And I was just 
pounding oranges, right? It was just so amazing. It's like, wow, I know this is a dumb question, but how did I know it was an orange tree? I know, stupid question, right? Because there was oranges all over it, oranges all around it. You could not not notice it was an orange tree. And so what Jesus is saying is, how do you know if a leader or a preacher is authentic? Well, does their life match up? He's not asking for perfection because then I'd be out of a job and everybody I know that does this is out of a job. The idea is that Jesus is saying there's fruit to your life. One of the things that I've always been concerned about in my life is does the stage or the there's no real stage here, but is the stage version of Ryan match up with the family version of Ryan? And so you'll have to ask Angela, but I mean, uh, that's that big concern. I mean, down the road, do my kids see a different version of me than you do? And so that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. If there's a gap, I need to repent of it. He goes on to talk about this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about leaders and prophets. He's not talking about just anybody. He's talking about the people who actually are leading the church. In context, this this is what he's saying. He says, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says, many of these these leaders and teachers will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, look what we did. Look at all the stuff we did. Look at all the people who came to our church. Look at the book deal I had. Look at, look at all the things that we did in your name. And he says, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. It's some pretty heavy language. See, Jesus talks about judgment quite a bit, more than any other New Testament author. And we're like, wait, Jesus is supposed to be nice but he talks about hell and judgment all the time. And what's interesting is, is he's, a lot of times he's talking to Jewish people and in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish culture, they knew the day of judgment is the day of the Lord when God would come back and set everything right, okay? And they thought that because of their DNA, because of their lineage, that that was like the golden ticket that that meant that they were in. And Jesus is always warning the people of Israel, the Jewish people, that that doesn't matter. That your DNA and your lineage doesn't mean anything. And I think some of the times we get kind of sucked into that as well. We we get involved in church things and, and, and we... We start changing some behavioral patterns and we think to ourselves, well, that must be what God wants. Look at what I'm affiliated with. Look at what I do. I mean, heck, God, I go to church once a month. What else do you want from me, right? Like this idea that we've got uh, some sort of a standing. And really what this gets down to, what Jesus is getting down to, are you in relationship with the Father? Are you in relationship with the Father? Are you known by the Father? See, my guess is we're kind of a mixed bag here. And, and there are people here who are, 
are just full-blown, passionate, authentic apprentices of Jesus in the room. And you're trying to figure out how to live that way more and more. And you just in, are in love with Jesus and, and what he's done for you in a way that just spills out into the rest of your life. And others of us in the room were kind of maybe more nominal. Maybe kind of grew up. It's kind of nice. We feel like we need to be affiliated with Jesus in some way or another. And you're here. And we have others here who are seeking, what is this whole Jesus thing about? Like, I want to see what this is all about. I want to I see if this has any meaning for me. And that's, that's great. There might be some of you in here who actually are full-blown wolves. And you're waiting for a chance. I don't know. Maybe you're here for the ladies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or the guys. I don't, I don't know. Or... To sell something, I don't know. But I'm just saying there might be a mixed bag of who's here and, and you're all welcome here. Well, for now, I'm just kidding. But this whole idea of staying alert, like that Jesus says that there's a slippery slope here and I wanna be careful here that I'm not telling everybody to, hey, let's be, uh, let's be theology police, okay? I don't mean that. I mean, I don't need you to do that. And at the same time, like I said before, we don't need to swallow everything whole. Like, let's talk. Let's have conversation. Is this really where we're supposed to be headed? Um, one of the uh, theologians that's part of this kind of group of people that we call the Covenant Church is, is a guy who's got such a great name, P.P. Waldenstrom. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Um, the, he went by P.P., which gives you a lot of standing, I guess, but his, one of his main things in his writing was where is it written? Where in scripture is it written? So when you say something and you preach something, how do we back that up? Like where is that written in scripture? And so we want to be very serious about that around here. The final warning that Jesus gives is where do you build your house? He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And you've heard this before. You've probably seen, you know, uh, different things in your life with this. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the, on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In the Galilee where Jesus is teaching, in the non-rainy seasons, the, the, the ground would get so hard, packed clay hard. And so you would see this, I mean, if you were new to the area or you were just kind of foolish, you would just start building right on top of that. Instead of doing the difficult work and digging down two or three feet to bedrock, some would just build right where they found a piece of land. And in this same region, what would happen is, is that every year there would be a certain part of the year, if you go out and visit tourists and things, there are places in Israel that people die every year because flash rainfall comes. It hits these, these areas and just moves quick. 
And so if you build your house just right on top, what happens is, is it just shears it right off. It just slides it right off. And hikers and tourists die every year in this area because of this. And so Jesus is saying, uh, where are you building? How are you building? And, and we're all in this room and we're all builders. This is the metaphor that Jesus has used. You are building something in this room. You are building a relationship. You are building a career. You are building a personality or a business. You know, you, you're building a name and an identity, uh, a personality, an expectation, a marriage, a worldview. You are building something, every one of us. You are building a family. You are building a life. And Jesus says, what are you building it on? Following me is like building it on the rock. And violent storm imagery is, is this imagery that, that, that people of Israel really knew as judgment. What are you building it all on? And we, can, we think of like hard times in our lives like cancer and, and disease and death and job loss. And those are partly storms as well. But, but they're experiencing this in a different way, the people that Jesus is talking to. With every decision with every relationship, with every dream, what are you building your life on or will it all wash away? Will at the end of your life be something left? Jesus talks about obedience as the way. And my assumption is, and I've made the assumption that about the inner life of many of you and that this is in some way or another, um, that you are some way or another connected to God, connected to the Father and that you have come face to face with the glory of God in your life in such a way that you've been able to see the ingloriousness of yourself. And because of that, you know, that beautiful uh, moment, that powerful realization that God is actually so uh, perfect and holy, and, and yet we are so twisted and sideways, that, that, and that God has come to rescue us and redeem us, and has, has done what, what scripture calls atonement, which means to make us at one meant with God. That God, in the form of Jesus, actually comes to do that work for us. And some of you know that, and you've experienced that forgiveness and grace and power in your life, and it's changed your life, and you've been forgiven and reconciled and set on a new course. You've experienced new life and a new birth. You've been adopted into a new family. You've been baptized, meaning you, there's this beautiful uh, imagery and reality of being baptized. And when you go under the water, uh, you are now dead. Your old self is dead. It's gone. It's behind you. It's away. And when you come out of the water, you're a new creation. You're a new person. You're set free. You don't have to live the old way anymore. You live the new way. And so... I've made the assumption that many of you have done that. The old you is buried. The new you is here. 
and that this is a gathering, a collection of people who are seeking to get a taste of what that means to live that way more and more and more. But here's the thing. Learning about Jesus and learning about the things that Jesus says are totally different than obedience to the things that Jesus says. And I don't know if you're like me, but I know I am. Knowledge is not following Jesus. It's not. Following Jesus is obedience through practice. And most of us have been educated far beyond our level of obedience. And I, I raise my hand. I mean, the reality is I like to teach and I'm in this role. I'm a, I'm, listen, I am a full-time professional Christian. Right? It's like kind of scary to say that. It's like that's what my job is. And when I, I've joked around when I tell people what I do for a living, they're like, oh, I'm going to talk to you anymore. And I get paid to, 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 part of my job is to learn the scriptures and, to, and to, to put it in a, such a way that keeps you awake and teaches you <laughs> the scriptures. And, 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 the, and the hard part is, is that, that sometimes I think the, the mentality is, well, Ryan has this all down. Not a chance. Not a chance. My mind works way faster than my character. Way faster than my character. And I think that's all of us. See, learning and obeying are two different things. Learning is easy, but it's hard to actually love your enemies. That is really hard. And some of you know that firsthand. Like there are people in your life that are sworn enemies and have been enemies for years. And Jesus tells you to love them. And that's almost impossible. See, I learned, uh, you know, the last three we these last three months of doing the Sermon on the Mount have been really huge and big and hard. And I learned some things about myself a few weeks ago. Um, we were doing the whole anxiety, uh, treasures in heaven thing, um, talking about some different things. Um, and I, I recognized this last Friday morning, I'm, I wake up in the morning and I'm full of anxiety. There's some things going on. Um, people I'm dealing with, things like that, they're just bring, bringing me some anxiety. Um, and, and I remember thinking about, okay, Sunday's coming, and, and I'm anxious about Sunday morning sermon. This sermon right now that I'm in the middle of, I was very anxious about on Friday. So I'm praying about it. I'm like, God, well, I'm anxious about this. And just, you know, kind of the questions that come up in my mind, just feel like God asking me, why are you anxious about this? Um, well, I'm talking about judgment and hell and warnings and that's not that fun. And so I'm anxious about that. I'm anxious. I don't feel like I'm saying anything new or exciting. There's no great jokes coming to mind. So I'm anxious about that. I, I, I'm just thinking about all these things. And then I start to begin to think about my own life and how I, you know, you know what I'm doing here is I'm actually treasuring my image of what you might have of me as I teach. That's human what people think of me. And so I think about that and I repent about that and I, I kind of give that back and I woke up Saturday morning feeling anxious. <laughs> Again, about this, about us, 
about you, about what God is doing. So I repent again, I make that choice again, and I'm learning and learning and learning. I wake up this morning, and it was all gone. No, I felt anxious. <laughs> Where am I putting treasure? What am I, what am I looking for? Why am I feeling this way? And, and, and someone once said that obedience, um, that, that really following Jesus and, and becoming like this faithful person is long obedience in the same direction. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I might be anxious again. You know, I might be thinking about myself and this isn't something we hype up. This isn't about emotionalism. This is steady and faithful obedience in the same direction. See, what scares me to death is that I can stand up here sometimes and teach but not obey that there are things that I can feel conviction about. And guilt and conviction are two different things. Conviction's from the spirit, guilt is not. But I can feel convicted about something in my life and ignore it. And you know what happens when I ignore it? It goes away. And when it goes away, I get a little bit more hard-hearted. I get a little bit more calloused. I get a little bit more numb. And so this last warning is the, is the force inside our lives that when you learn from Jesus and you don't obey, when you learn what life, the way of Jesus is and choose to do a different thing. See, a lot of people think this is about moral and immoral things. And, and it has something to do with that. Wise builder is moral. Uh, the foolish builder is immoral. We kind of go that route. But actually, it really is just about intelligence. That Jesus actually ultimately is saying that following me is the wise thing to do. It's not just the moral thing to do. It's the wise thing to do, that life comes that way. And not following me is unintelligent and immoral. And death comes that way. And he's, there's no plan C with this. It's like one or the other. Jesus has kind of given us two options. And, and at the end of it, he says this, when Jesus had finished, this is verse 28, saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word amazed actually means dumbfounded in Greek. And the word authority is this idea that out of being, out of reality, this, re, this, this really real teaching of Jesus. One scholar puts it like this idea that it resonated with the people so much. It struck a chord in them. You know those times when you, when you hear something and you're like, that is so, that's true. That, that just hits me right where I need it. That's so true. Wow, he spoke to my soul. See, this is what happens when you listen to Jesus on the side of a mountain. You hear this amazing, powerful truth. Now, just to finish this up. And it's really important for us to remember that Jesus is a teacher, right? He's just a teacher. And a lot of times we just gloss past that because we, we get into some of these uh, thoughts that we hear from people that when they say, well, gee, I, I think Jesus was really a wise teacher, but uh, 
Savior, Lord, I don't know so much about that. And so we're afraid to just really be so thankful and grateful about Jesus being a great teacher uh, because we feel like there's more to that than there is. But let's just think about this whole idea of Jesus being a teacher. Uh, he, he's not merely just telling us the right way to live. He's telling us that this is the best way to live. And it leads to life. And it leads this obedience that always leads to life. But he's also Lord. And earlier in the passage, he says, some of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And it's a very Jewish way of saying, some of you will come to me and say, Yahweh. That Jesus actually claims in this moment to be God. How scandalous that was on the side of this mountain in Galilee. That Jesus says, some of you are going to come to me and say, Yahweh. Don't you remember me? And he swaps me for Yahweh. And so what Jesus is actually claiming is that he made you. That he made you. He's the creator of everything. That he is after your joy. And so my question this morning for us is really kind of simple. Where, where are you at with the Father? Where are you at with Jesus? Matt, we didn't want this whole series to be like the, a whole bunch of rules and religious talk where you have to be more generous. But this comes from a place of absolute surrender to Jesus. That because of what Jesus has done for us, and, and we you know, celebrate in a big way on Easter, but really we celebrate it all the time is that God comes in human form, flesh and blood, to rescue us. To change your history. To change your story. Where are you at with Jesus today? Where do you want to be with Jesus?